study the rumors Yeah, study this Side Podcast Network, myself, your host, Silas Martin, my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds, and a guest we got today, friend of the show, Javi. What's going on, Javi? Good to have you on. Uh, not much, man. Good to be on here. Glad to be on, finally. Uh, yes, today, um, you know, UFC schedule has actually kind of finally picked up this year. We've got a couple of cool cards to get into, some interesting results, and a good pay-per-view ahead of us. So first thing we're going to be getting into was uh, Fight Night just gone, UFC Fight Night, uh, Piotr Jan versus Marab Dvalishvili. Um Thought it was cool that they did this at just in just like a hotel theater with a relatively small audience. It just like it had it had just way more atmosphere than just doing it at the old Apex. Um, I can say yeah, definitely. You know the the small crowd, but like the sufficient crowd to make noise was was kind of nice especially for uh, the main event. Yeah, and um, crazy result in the main event. Although, like, it was funny because, like, um, Christian, last week you, you said, even though, like, we kind of came in both really wanting to pick Marab just, like, on a vibe, then we actually started talking about what the, guy, the guys, like, you know, do in fights. And you you were like, uh, I, I think i got to stop picking Yan fights on vibe and just do it based on like what his actual skill set is and uh i am deciding the exact opposite because after we put yeah i'm spinning that back after we put the podcast out and i saw the face off and i saw that yan tried to do do some kind of fucking krav maga move on marab while they were facing off i was like oh he's gonna lose he's, he's mad and he's gonna fight like a dumbass I, I've completely spun back my stance on that. I, I feel like I came to the wrong conclusion based off of the right criteria. I, I, I now have accepted he he's just a fucking he he's just always gonna fight however he feels like fighting in the night, so I'm gonna pick based off of his inconsistency rather than picking his potential. Cause most of our bad picks on here are just us picking potential over someone's actual like applied skill set yeah and it seems to be a somewhat of a pattern where yan just like doesn't respect his opponents and it's, it seemed like <laughs> that's kind of not real analysis but it seemed like he actually took like Corey sandhagen and uh Aljamain sterling the first time very seriously but then in like the second aljo fight he was like oh well i'm just better than this guy i beat his ass and just came into the fight really overconfident and then like Aljamain Sterling actually had a very good performance. And it seemed like against Sean O'Malley, he was just like, oh, well, I still won that fight and I'm just better than Sean O'Malley. I'm just going to beat his ass. And then it was like a war and he kind of like maybe should have won, but he didn't. And, you know, and, and in this fight, he just, you know, he just let Marab kick him in the leg a shitload. Like, and just didn't seem to think that it was going to add up and then it did and then actually had to respect it. And... I mean, as well, I, you know, we're talking about Yan and like him maybe kind of shitting the bed a bit, but it was also just a really good performance from Marab and he did everything right. And 
we brought up is that Marab is just like the hardest fucking gamer in the UFC. He just does the things that he needs to do to win fights. And sometimes that means just like having a stinker where he just doesn't give the guy much and does just enough to stay ahead on optics. And in this case, it meant just doing fucking everything all the time because something I've been saying about Yan for a while you know, even when he was on his crazy run, was that eventually he's going to lose because someone just does more stuff than him and stays ahead. And if you do enough stuff, then Yan will kind of wait his turn a little too much. And, you know, we we were looking at this going, well, Morab's not going to be able to beat Yan the way that Sterling did in the second fight. Uh, and then the, this fight started happening. I was like, oh, it's the first Sterling fight, but if Sterling had an infinite gas tank and was immortal, I get it now. And he just, he just won super easily by just spamming takedowns. And, and you know, his striking wasn't the prettiest, but he was just constantly staying busy. And even though he wasn't getting Yan in good positions very consistently uh, from his takedowns, because that's just a Marab thing, he just like took the small wins he could get in every position and the fact that Yan is a way is a way better scrambler than he is a takedown defender meant that he still had to let his ass hit the mat and then do a cool ass scramble to get back to the feet repeatedly which just like what are you doing to win the fight while you're just having to do that over and over again against a guy who's going to shoot 50 fucking times in a fight um i have to add as well that uh, rob's mechanics um uh, on the feet really surprised me he has kind of always had, you know, real booty cheeks mechanics in terms of striking. He, he's never really been a, a very, like, precise, committed striker. So to see him, you know, occasionally hitting, like, real straight 1-1-2s against Jan, uh, very methodically pushing him back to the fence and picking with him was impressive. Um, and for Jan's part, I have to say, you know, that, you know, the, the translation of his post fight statement does kind of like it, it could potentially add some context, not in terms of necessarily like the statement that he post, uh, pushed out on his social media following the fight mentioned that he had been in a sparring session like a week before the fight, uh, that was meant to test his, uh, his basically like how well he would do against uh Marab's style. And uh he didn't say he got his ass whooped, but it's inferred. Um and he basically says that he had to get physical therapy. I don't think he was actually injured in the fight. I think the the injury is just like his excuse for it, but I, I could believe, you know, if you have a, a full five by five sparring session a week out from the fight and you get your ass completely ran through the ringer um, by the very style you're supposed to face, I could understand how it would, you know, shoot his confidence in the foot. Um, and it would definitely explain his timidity in a lot of the exchanges, um, especially going on like later into the fight as Marab started to increase his volume. Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for it being necessary to assess the like the not necessarily analytical aspects of fighting, like uh, we're we're not really talking about his tactics or his his strategy very much for this fight because it's really just his head's weird. Uh, you you once you've seen someone as much as we've seen Jan fight, you you just kind of pick up on their temperament, and his temperament's very strange. Uh, sometimes he'll fight someone and he'll just want to murder them from the get go. 
sometimes he'll fight someone and be like, you know what, I'm going to chill for a little bit, and then I'm going to really pull through. And then in recent fights, he's had ones where he kind of just wants to fight to get back even so that he can then restart uh, his process over and over again. But like he, he used to be a bulldozer in, in his earlier UFC run where he would always be pressing his advantages and really trying to fuck people up. But then as his career has gone on, he just seems to always want to be slightly ahead and then pull through whenever he gets uh, a little opportunity to take a mile when you give him an inch. So he, he doesn't run into that situation very often until he's gotten to a title uh, situation where he, he fought Jose Aldo, who is going to give you a slow-paced fight where you can think about what you need to do and make like calculated adjustments where you kind of you have time between your exchanges to actually think of what you want to do. And then the first Aldo fight, he kind of just gets... Uh, like paced and and creativity that for a few minutes or or like ten minutes and then he's like oh this guy's getting tired cool I just gotta like bide my time for a little bit and then I'll start killing yeah, the but guy. He still dropped Aljo while in the first round while he was doing all of that stuff. Yeah, I I feel like that's that's just on you know him being a really technically proficient boxer and Aljo having terrible mechanics and really porous defense. Yeah, he he's always a good fighter, but his temperament. Is, is definitely uh, kind of s- transparent whenever you watch his fights in hindsight, where you can see, okay, he just uh, originally I thought this was a, a big brain game plan for him to just wait out Aljo, and then uh, upon rewatching, it's like no, he he actually just recognized the strategy to win the fight during it because he was given the opportunity to because he didn't really have to worry about anything from Aljo because he could. He's a technically professional enough defender of a takedown story. He can just not get taken down by Aljo if, he, if he's just focusing on defense for a while. And he, he can find his shots if he sees it uh, like in spots, but it's not going to be too difficult for him o- over five. But then uh, the Corey Sanding fight, he basically just gets like spoon-fed information on what to do from his corner because that's a good thing for a corner to be able to do. He's very coachable. Then in his recent fights, he's just had people that are really annoying to deal with if because they don't give you time to think about what you need to do. O'Malley's always doing something. Like whether or not it's him throwing strikes, he's just fucking switching stance or like fainting a kick or or, or fucking like jawing at you. It's gonna be annoying for someone like Jan who who wants uh, a bit of room to work and he just keeps getting bullied for needing too much time to work. Um, I think there's also something to be said for, uh, like Van Higgins of the stylish, uh, stylistic matchup in terms of Van Higgins himself being a very process driven, uh, fighter. Um, there's not, you know, like you said, Marab and O'Malley are not the type to really give you space to make your reads, but it's more because like it's a, because they're they're not you know their process is just get off as much offense as possible, like just do as much as you can as quickly as you can. Yeah, whereas all the time. I, I think with Corey Sandhagen, well, he was giving Yan a ton to deal with in the first few rounds and like doing a good job of just like. Like working it in from range and working his jab and 
like staying ahead on a, on a lot of really non-committal volume. The issue is that a lot of the volume was pretty non-committal, and Yan didn't have to respect it in the same way. So even though he was like dealing with mitigating a, a, a lot of offense at, at a pretty high pace, it was still stuff that he that was giving him time to like build in exchanges and just uh, lead up to dropping. Corey Sandhagen with a silly tornado punch, um, but all Corey would have had to have done was not get dropped, not gotten dropped by that silly tornado punch for several more minutes. And he probably would have won that fight. So th- th- there was still something there. Yeah, um, there's also you know, um, like you said about him not having to respect the knock uh, knock middle volume. He really only had like the only strike he had to respect was the flying knee, <laughs> and he was really well prepared for the flying knee in that fight. He was like parrying it and shit. Because Corey Sandhagen is going to fly neat. Yeah, I coming out of this fight, I'm I respect Jan a lot less. Not his skill set, but I respect his ability to just get the fight he wants so much less now. Whereas Marab, he's he's grown on me a lot. He he's like a a man, Angela Lee. The thing is, Ange- Angela Lee's really good at submissions. I can I kind of think he's like a better Mateusz Gamrot. Who is also, I mean, Mateusz Gamrot's also very good at submissions, but I think in terms of the wrestling style and, and just like the process. Now, what do you think? Uh, and and say that I really, you know, I've I've said this a couple times uh, on my own, but like this, there's, uh, I, I really don't know if if uh, Marab is closer to Gamrot or to Kobe stylistically. Yeah, I see that. I think he's what people think Colby is. Right. Um, he, he, or maybe what Colby was able he, to be against, like, the ghost of Robbie Lawler. Yeah, pretty much that. And even then, like, if you gave Marab, Robbie Lawler would have put out 5,000 more strikes and also gotten a knockout. Or, or like that, Robbie Lawler. Diotian's kind of bantamweight Robbie Lawler right now. So. <laughs> he, he really is. He uh, Dan Albert has made references to him kind of just being Robbie Lawler in a lot of ways where he, he has really nice boxing. He's, he's pretty defensively sound, but he'll take a couple rounds off to start to, to like figure shit out. And if you just don't give him the ability to, he, he won't. Um, there's, there's the, the striking aspect of it in terms of him not giving people um, like Jan and Robbie Lawler, the, the, the space to, get the reads right because Jan and, and Robbie Lawler both are dependent like their striking is dependent on resets to like drive in their 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 offense right they'll wait for you to reset and then they'll drive in a fucking real hard counter to nail you and stay you on your ass um the fact that neither Marab nor Kobe resets but Gamrot does I think is is the big difference between their styles yeah that's fair um like when you and, and when you see a fight like uh, Gamrot versus Sarukin, the, the reason that Sarukin was gonna, was able to score so much on on Gamrot in the first three rounds was precisely because of those resets. Um, whereas someone like Marab doesn't, you know, if there's no reset, there's no time to the time counter. And, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good read. Most of Jan's best highlights are him just catching someone cold whenever they think that an exchange is done. 
uh, like the the kick that he hits uh, Uriah Faber in the face with, or the knockdown he gets where he like gestures and then gets Uriah to gesture back, and then just steps into a, a hard straight whenever Uriah thinks that nothing is going to happen, uh, or or like the Aljamain Sterling knockdown where Aljo kind of like eases up and then just gets like pasted by a right hand. Yeah, I think it's similar to how he dings Aldo really bad with the right hand in the first or second round of that fight as well. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he really relies on you just allowing him to. And, and Marab, he, I think he might have not reset a single time unless it was him just retreating really fucking quickly. Like, yeah, there, there was, was a, a there's there's I gotta get out of here. There's a few times that stood out to me in the in the first couple rounds where uh, Jan would hit him with a real hard counter just to happen to, to nail him, um, but not a not at a really good angle or anything. Just happened to catch him pretty clean, and he would kind of stop for a second. But not it wasn't really a reset. It was just that the impact kind of forced him to stop. Um, that as well as the kicks in round one are uh, really like th- those drove some success for him. Oh. Yeah, Jan was doing pretty well with kicks to start. Uh, yeah. and then once Marab started kicking back, he went away from it way too much. He kind of shut down his, his whole kicking offense immediately. Which is strange, because he's normally a, a pretty competent kicker from both stances. Uh, but he, he was like, oh, I've been kicked, so I now can't kick. And I'm sure the wrestling fight also annoyed him, because uh, Jan doesn't really like going for too many middle or low kicks against wrestlers or saves that for uh, people leaning back. Yeah. I, th- I think the thing is like with Marab, if, uh, if you're going to beat him, you've either just got to like actually knock the shit out of him with a counter <laughs> uh, as he's entering wildly as Marlon Marias came this close to, to doing. Um, or you've just actually got to be able to out grapple him like uh like like Ricky Simone did, but just relying on uh, you know defending takedowns and out scrambling Marab, you're still just letting him do too much to get your own offense off consistently. If you're having that kind of fight with him, yeah, um, Fenyo, I believe it was pointed out as well that Marab has always kind of left himself vulnerable to body shots. Uh, that's how Ricky was able to hurt him in their fight initially. Um, was just through body shots. Um, so there's something to be said for Marab backing on a on a straight line, and that's um, there's you know again another difference between him and Gamrot stylistically. Uh, he is a sambist first, so a lot of his attacks are, are linear and and based completely on. Uh, Deviations from a specific line in footwork, rather than you know activity itself. Yeah, the, that's that's about it for the fight. Oh, one last thing that I want to mention: uh, there was a moment in like I think the first round where uh, Marab had snapped down uh, Yan in like a front headlock situation and was uh, throwing knees, and Yan played the fingertip game and put his fingertips to the mat so that he wouldn't get illegally kneed. So I just want to say he's betrayed everything that he believes in. He's clearly just a shell of a man now. I kind of think that's his own way of cheating. 
He's like, oh, I'm I can use this rule. You can't. He's your little cousin playing Monopoly with you. He'll just invent new rules on the spot. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> be like, no, actually, it's based to to like use the rules to your advantage. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna reach down real quick. Uh, but then in the co-main event, uh, Alexander Volkov beat the absolute shit out of Alexander Romanov. Fucking floor with Romanov. <laughs> Yeah, he he made it look super easy. He just uh, kicked him at range, and then everything he threw landed. And then uh, Romanov ended up mounted and and just kind of pitter pattered until, or not even really pitter pattered. It was kind of fucking hard shots uh, that the ref was just like, "Yeah, he's not gonna defend himself." Or he, he's, he's too scared to defend himself. It was like one body kick, and then he was like, Ugh! "Yeah, I don't know what was going on with Romanov here because I mean." I, I thought that there was a strong possibility that he would get to throw Volkov around a little bit and then he would gas and get the shit kicked out of him. But it took like less than two minutes. Like he he went, he got in on one takedown and got it stuffed. And then Romanov did, yeah, he did one, Volkov did one front kick to the body and Romanov was just like, oh no, fuck. I'm just going to say Romanov's just a fat bum. <laughs> That's it. Simple as that. He, he genuinely got broken by a, a kick, uh, but then in a a, a kind of equally silly fight, uh, Nikita Krylov uh, submitted submits Ryan Spawn by triangle choke. Yeah, I mean this fight was dope. Like, uh, you know, yeah, like not much happened on the feet. No, aside from both of them missing a bunch. Uh yeah, and you know Ryan Spawn's chronic inability to not just have whatever fight the other guy wants to have just immediately kicked in and he was just like yeah i'm just gonna get into stupid scrambles with this guy and there was still a moment where i was like well oh, maybe he's gonna guillotine nicky krills that's exactly the kind of thing that happens in this fight and then he just got triangled yeah i don't think you're gonna catch nicky krills with, with something like that uh, I'm gonna I, catch I, him with something way what? sillier than that, like a side naked choke or a von flu. Yeah, watching the exchange live, I was like, I think he's not gonna get submitted. Like, I was like, there, there's no way he's gonna get submitted by by Spawn. I didn't expect Krillov to win by triangle. That was very strange, and it was a very ugly looking triangle entry. I thought it was way more likely he was just gonna like pound Ryan Spawn out from a weird angle because that's just like something that happens to Ryan Spann. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, the grappling exchanges were exemplary of light heavyweight, to be honest. They were awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, really the only man with a more coherent grappling game in general than either of these guys is Paul Craig. Um, nobody else's 205 is, you know, they're all going to look like that on the ground. Um. Yeah, the difference being is that Nikki Krill is just like fearless and determined and always looking for a finish. Whereas Ryan, Ryan yeah, Spann, and he has a, he has a track openings. Yeah, Ryan Span does not. Ryan Span gets lucky, uh, you know, mistiming an entry from Dominic Reyes, <laughs> and that's where his finishes come from. Jonathan Martinez fought Saeed Magomedov. A pretty good fight. It was pretty close. Uh, Saeed kind of uh, kicked the shit out of Jonathan Martinez for a lot of like the first round, the early parts of the second round, because he was just like dramatically faster and 
you know, he he is very like like creative with his combinations on the feet. And this was finally a matchup where Saeed was like, oh, yeah, I actually just get to like trade kicks with this guy. This is sick. I don't, I don't have to be forced to grapple with someone and then submit them. This is, this is, this is ill. But then he, then he got tired and Jonathan Martinez kind of just figured him out and he's just the one throwing more uh, in the later rounds. It, it was extremely close throughout. And I mean, I was also really impressed with Jonathan Martinez's defensive wrestling and grappling in this fight. It was something I kind of expected was that Saeed wasn't going to push a grappling advantage and that it would more be something that kind of happens by accident if an MMA fight happened to break out because uh, it normally seems to be how he wants to fight. The fight was just kind of extremely competitive like everywhere. Martinez was, was just the one like putting more offense together in each phase as the fight went later and later. I definitely, I have to say that Martinez uh, impressed me with his locating as well. He'd been of a solid low kicker before, but I think uh, the combined the low kicking combined with uh, him actually being able to like out muscle Saeed on the cage, um, really, I don't know. I think it even if it didn't make the fight any less close, it was definitely something that I wasn't expecting from him. Yeah, yeah, and something I was impressed by with Martinez, I, I mentioned before the fight that I figured the spins would make it really annoying for Martinez to get his offense off. And it, mm-hmm. it did. He, he had troubles getting kicks uh, cleanly landed on side with sides, not even just the spins, but like the threat of the spin. It, it'll just ma- make you kind of double guess your kick while you're starting to throw it. So a lot of people have really shitty kicks during that, but he actually worked around it and started timing them better. And, uh, and then sometimes just full committing to them, even if a spin was to come. And normally that disincentivized the spin rather than vice versa. Yeah, and I think he was pretty wise to the fact that Saeed often was looking to spin off of you know, getting his own leg kicked out. So Martinez wasn't really worried about getting countered while he was throwing the kick because he was wise to the fact that the spin was coming like as a counter after the kick was being thrown. Yeah, uh, um, Mario Batista... Uh, like he very easily beat Guido Canetti. It was pretty sick. Uh, yeah, it, it was cool. A, a strange scramble ensued. Well, I think it started with, um, I mean, I mean, Canetti got uh, a takedown of his own, and as Batista was standing up, uh, he jumped guillotine. But Batista sit like hit like a sick throw straight into side control. Uh, and he passes to mount and gets the back, and Canetti does the old, I simply stand up with a guy with a body triangle on me. Um, and a lot of people in, in this position will just spend the rest of the fucking round just trying to uh, finish the choke from standing. Whereas Batista, he he made an attempt at the choke, um, realized that like Kinetti was just being diligent with the hand fighting. So instead like switches his grip, but bails and like uh, lets the body triangle go in order to hit a sick ass suplex on Guido Kinetti to, to just like force another scramble where Kinetti was uh, compromising his choke defense in order to stand up and he just got fucking strangled. It was ill as hell. I have to say it was, uh, it was definitely impressive from Mario Bautista. You know, he's not even, uh, he's not even 30. But he's definitely he's he was a veteran even when he fought like Corey Sandhagen. You know, it was one of those weird cases where 
are using... kind of emerging as like king of the bantamweight journeyman. Yeah, sort sorta. Um, he's he's beaten. I mean, what was his last one for Kennedy? Uh, you know, Ryan Kelleher. So, yeah, kind of taking out old, unranked bantamweights. Um, and I I like that for him. I like that for his style. I think honestly, that's his best spot is you know, like middle of the main card to prelims on a pay per view type like action fighter. And uh, only two more fights to talk about, in, in my opinion, are uh, David Grant versus Rafael Asuncao. Yeah, this was fucking bananas. Uh, it, it was a pretty ridiculous fight. Yeah. It, it kind of what we expected in a way, but uh, not the same. Not exactly no, the way we expected. No, it's exactly what I, I expected say, for like the first two <laughs> rounds. Um, I just, I just got to say, hold on, you know, like pump the brakes real quick because. We ain't even get a shout to my boy, the Pleasure Man. You know, come on now. Okay, what we can't. We can't give a shout out to. I have absolutely nothing to say about him. Um, yeah, I just lost. <laughs> yeah, he just he just ate shit basically. Um, kind of sucked everywhere, uh, especially against a guy that uh, is not supposed to go past round one. Uh, Victor Petrino is a notoriously like he he gasses immediately after the midpoint of round one if he hasn't knocked you out. Um, so the fact that Dracali went to decision and convincingly lost is absolutely an indictment of his skill as a fighter, in my opinion. Yeah, and then back to a, a genuinely relevant fight. Yeah, Rafael Asuncao, he fucking, you know, for the first two rounds was a pretty classic a Sunsal fight. You know, it just his uh fantastic distance management and sharp counter right hand and takedowns. But uh, you know, David Grant actually he's actually really he can be taken down, but he's really sharp on the mat these days and like really made a Sunsal work to get him in good positions and it seemed like it kind of gassed a Sunsal out a little bit down the stretch. Cause you know, after pretty convincingly winning the first two in a still pretty uh, uh, narrow uh, sunsail fashion, uh, David Grant just had to fucking go for it in the third round. And uh, I think the big thing, the the big thing to go with a sunsail that's forced him to finally age out after being a relevant bantamweight for so long is just his reactions that have been the cornerstone of him being able to be a sharp defensive technician and his speed are just obviously dwindling with age. And even though he was like wise to Davy Grant's big wacky swanging hooks and like stance switching in range, he he just he just kind of couldn't keep it up. He gets clanged real bad by a wacky right hand as he's retreating in the third round. Um, and then gets a takedown with like a minute left, and you know looks like he might be able to eke it out, but. There was a weird thing where Davy Grant gets a point taken for fence grabbing and like ending up on top because of it, but it also seemed like a Sunsal was kind of on top of the scramble and had like regained position by the time the ref had actually been able to separate them. So, you know, I'm, I'm not blaming, blaming the ref for a Sunsal losing because 
he lost because he wasn't able to maintain his defense for the final minute. It'd it, it be like that. But yeah, David Grant, he just like faints the right hand that he had dropped to Sunset with previously, previously spins through with the spinning back fist and drops him. Then as the Sun Sal's coming up on a takedown, he hits a fucking wacky ass. Uh, is this an inverted triangle or a reverse triangle? Oh, inverted there triangle. There you go. And uh, choked yeah. the Sun Sal out cold. So that was that was kind of, was kind of whack to see just because I love a Sun Sal. But you know what? Uh, it, it, you know, he, he's 40 years old and he's already been knocked out by the silliest punch ever thrown by Cody Garbrandt. He's kind of been in the house money portion of his career, probably like since he beat Rob Font. And doesn't detract from the great things he did in his career as one of the unsung bantamweight goats. And uh, David Grant is uh, really cool. He's, he's just like a cool, weird journeyman veteran who's put together a couple of surprisingly good wins. And you know, this is just this is going to be one of the high points of his career. Yeah, and uh, what you said about Asuncao's uh, reactions is very true because what Prime Asuncao would have done in the exact scenario that he he ate the right hand, instead of trying to parry someone like Davy Grant's strikes, he would have figured out by then that he's just got to blast a straight at him whenever he's he's doing something really wonky like that. That was exactly what I thought. It was the reactions on his counters that, like, there was, there was a lot of times he was just letting Davy Grant get away with just stance switching in range where and a Sun Sal you know, four or five years ago would have just been nailing him with right straights for that. Yeah. Primus Sunso will actually counter you pretty reliably and, and like fuck you up to get you to stop going at him. Whereas late career Sunso is going to try and pick shots off. So a guy like Victor Henry, who has really clean mechanical shots to pick off, he's he's not going to get much offense through, but a guy like Davy Grant later on in a fight with the pace that he's wanting to push, he's a pretty large bantamweight. And and he hits quite hard, so he, he's just like mentally stressful to fight. He's gonna find some weird ropey Nico Price arms and swangs punches from weird angles at ranges that you don't anticipate. Yeah, and also the timing on whenever he throws something is is just very strange because you see that he's gonna throw it like a second before he even throws it, which can fuck with your timing if you're a reaction based fighter. Because if anything, it's like kind of easier to react to it if it's instant. Like the person has no wind up at a certain point. Uh, so David Grant just has fucking wonky mechanics and it led to him getting some offense off that you would expect a Sun Tzu to be able to avoid, but he's just too far in, away in his career because he would have in his prime just countered that shot or just not been there to get there to get hit. His feet have slowed down a lot as he's gotten older and then he retired. So, uh, Fucking all-time uh, gatekeeper, the guy who could have been champion at multiple points throughout his career if 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 he had just gotten the fights and the love from the promotion. Um, he's definitely uh, he's gained status now. I think is one of the you know like real hardcore litmus tests. You know, is like one of the that's one of those questions. Uh, like, what do you think of a Sun South career that that really? will tell you a lot about how much someone knows about MMA. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it, it, you would have had to reach real far back for some sort of do well with the matchup like that. I think the closest thing that we had to a good, pro- like a real all-time performance from a Sun Sal against a style like that 
was uh, Dillashaw won. His first fight against Dillashaw where he, you know, in the second and third pretty much neutralized Dillashaw's offense despite Dillashaw having real weird arcing mechanics, same as David Grant, despite being smaller. Um, I think, it, you know, his, his reactions from that fight and, and his process defensively from that fight would have led to him beating Davy Grant were he a younger man. Well, I think he quite possibly just would have knocked Davy Grant out with a right hand at some point. <laughs> if he had just been quicker on the trigger and caught Davy Grant for some of the ways that he enters, I think he just would have absolutely spun Davy Grant in his prime. Because he did, he did hurt Dillashaw as well in, in that first fight a couple times. I mean, he, he really forced Dillashaw to back off and be timid. Uh, I mean, he normally hurts everyone at least once, but that's the point where he's like, I, I won this round, time to do nothing. Yeah, so, a uh, great retirement fight for Asunzo. Not really a, a slight on him to get finished like that. That David Grant's, da- his nickname is dangerous. That shit will happen. But the last fight for this card I, that I would like to talk about is Victor Henry versus Tony Gravely. Asunzo's son. Yeah, it, it was a very strange fight because. Gravely actually out-cardioed uh, Victor Henry at a certain point in the third round. It, it seems like when there's a lot of wrestling involved in the matchup, it, Victor Henry's gas tank is not going to remain the same on the feet. Uh, he, he's so uh, quick to, to act like before thinking about what he's doing that I think of a fight where he's just forced into a pace that he doesn't want to be maintaining is actually a somewhat reliable way to mentally gas him because it seemed more like he was just labored trying to think of what to do after having to go deep into his tool bag the entire first two rounds. I think part of that is also just Tony Gravely being like athletic as shit. Yeah. He's like really explosive and quite strong. And it also seemed like Tony Gravely kind of... Uh, he kind of gassed a little bit from the pace in the second round, got the fuck beaten out of him in the second round. And then Victor Henry like felt like he had to keep that up in the third round, but uh, Tony Gravely actually kind of had a second win and was able to go at pace with Victor Henry in the third round. Yeah, Tony Gravely, uh, his chin's also pretty good, and he has good reactions to shots coming at him. He's not someone that's going to flinch a bunch or overreact to like everything coming at him. So some of the shots he'd eat, he would just get tap-tapped and recognize there wasn't too much of a threat about it, and then... Uh, blast in the left hook and and kind of catch Henry to keep him honest. I think there's uh, definitely something you said as well for the fact that um, and look, I, I I'll admit I'm going to sound like a fucking idiot giving Joe Rogan any credit, but Joe Rogan uh, during Victor Henry's fight with Honey Barcelos uh, made a call that Victor Henry fought exactly like a coach would want a fighter to fight. Um. And that's pretty true. He he fights like the average kickboxing coach, uh, kickboxing coach would want his fighter to fight. Um, so you know, if you consider that with the fact that uh, Gravely was able to to really push a pace that even Victor Henry wasn't used to, uh, I could definitely you know it, it it makes sense that Victor Henry wouldn't be able to think of his combinations and would make tactical errors. Such as rolling under for that heel hook, uh, and I, I'm just I'm gonna take a little detour to, to rant about that because that shit pissed me off. 
Come on now, my boy. Like that was there was no need to roll under for that heel hook. It was the wizard was secure. His leg was safe. All he had to do was was mule kick out a little bit. Hey, this is a guy who's fought on the JMMA circuit. Like I get it. Yeah, it was definitely you know it was that catch wrestling mentality of oh fuck I got to do some badass submission shit. But like at the same time, bro, like you were saying, it was also that that moment where he like had a strong position on uh, on Tony Gravely and looked like he really wanted to let him up to soccer kick him and then was like wait i can't do that fuck and just did, did like a little front kick to the body <laughs> it was a great fight like um we still saw like all of the cool victor henry stuff like just how how good he is uh, attacking in transitions and constantly creating them and the way he punches into the clinch and gets like nice little offense off and like like really uh, disincentivizes his opponent from staying at that range with him and then we'll catch him on the exits like it it's not surprising to me that it, it does a, like kind of uh, gas Victor Henry down the stretch. Just the amount of things that he's processing in every phase of MMA when his like style is rolling the way that he really wants it to. In hindsight, yeah. it, it was a bit of a mirror match in the sense that they're both fighters who fight back to keep the the pace that they want by upping the pace. So it, it's just going to turn out in that type of fight where both guys keep trying to up the pace on the other guy to get the other guy to slow his own pace so that they can slow down their pace. But then neither guy is going to slow down their pace unless they just get physically exhausted. So they just took turns getting exhausted because even when Gravely was like super tired, he kept forcing uh, Victor Henry to continue beating the shit out of him in this first and second round. And then by that point, uh, it evens out when Gravely's at his most tired, he's less uh, labored looking than Victor Henry is when he's at his most tired. So Henry uh, might have dropped the third round. But I thought it was a good decision. I saw someone complain about it, but it, it was a good decision, I think. I thought it was a pretty good decision. And I, I'm, I'm happy with Victor Henry turning out to be a, a really reliable Bantamweight action fighter as well. Um, even if he doesn't get near the title picture anytime soon, uh, I'm, I'm fine with him just producing really high-level, fun, like, you know, scrambles and fights. Yeah, and he should fight Mario Batista. Yeah, that would be a really good fight. <laughs> that would be an awesome fight, actually. Um, I don't know if, uh, I don't know how well Henry would do it against uh, Batista, but I, I have a feeling Batista get uh, drowned in that one a little bit, but I don't know. There's some threat there, so that would be a good one for sure. Uh, I guess one last thing that was cool, Bruno Silva had a cool finish over Tyson Nam, where he kind of got bopped up for the first round, and then he front-kicked Tyson Nam in the mouth. Uh, it was so fast, I thought it went to the body when I first saw it. Then he did a cool rear naked choke, where like he'd been working Nam on the ground after dropping him, and then he gave his back to stand up. And he did a rear naked choke, but just where he kind of just he just grabbed the neck first and like got a bulldog choke in and then jumped on the hook. So, uh, so Nam still just being a little dazed, just, just had like no time to actually process defending it and got choked out. This is a pretty sick finish. I think it, um, it was definitely funny that it produced the next like mean front kick face. I think it's the best one by far. Oh, I haven't seen this one. Yeah, man. It uh it looks like a like a G mod face distortion. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> but 
oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy that we got that from there. But that's always the upside of one of these KOs. <laughs> Front kicks just make goblins of us all. And, and also, before we talk about the next card, something I forgot to mention. Uh, right as this card started in the Carlson Harris fight in Jared Good versus Jared Gooden, I saw Carlson Harris kind of riding out uh like top position just like with a headlock. And I said, Oh, god damn it. The the fucking next couple of months are just gonna be people trying to do the the Jones gone finish or at least strategy of just like kind of chilling on someone from a headlock and not really doing much because it's not going to work against someone that's, that's not going to, you know, break immediately or it, it might work if you're just flatly better than them, but it's not going to break everyone like it did uh, gone. But then fucking, uh, Cedric Dumas versus Josh Fremd show that I, well, I was right. That, that's all people are going to do for a while. It, it was basically the exact same thing, except so yeah, I, I uh, didn't make that connection. I thought Josh Fremd was just trying to get revenge for being on the losing end of the most disgusting at guillotine I've ever seen in this last fight. That he, it was he just did the fucking John Jones thing. Like he he watched last pay per view and was like, oh that's sick, and then he choked out an inexperienced kickboxer. I feel like calling Cedric Dumont an inexperienced kickboxer is more than a little generous. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, sucked. I mean, strangely, he's like, strangely, he's like fucking 15 fights into his career because he had a pretty extensive amateur record. But, like, he... Don't quite like it. He does not. No, he fights very green. And he's 27. Like yeah. he's he's young, but he's not that young. Uh, what is the pressing like, of with as many fights as he has? Amateur MMA circuit. What an absolute humiliation of that circuit. That this is the this is the product that you put out. Fights is is Cedric Dumas who just falls asleep basically in a front headlock. <laughs> So, uh, on to UFC 286, Edwards versus Usman 3. It's kind of an insane card. It kind of is, yeah. And, of course, a rematch of a fight that ended in, I mean, one of the greatest title fight KOs ever come from behind knockout uh, from a guy who was losing, who isn't known for being a finisher. In context, for my money, it's the best title fight KO ever. It really might be. It's also like in a vacuum. It's an absolutely disgusting knockout. It's a perfect left high kick, and the guy just like dies completely. Uh, you know, it's against a dominant champion who nobody thought was going to lose, who was winning the fight. And so, this is the thing. I feel like most people are are going to be looking at this, being like, "Well, you know, Kamaru's when he, you know, he beat Leon the first time. He was beating Leon's ass in the second fight, and then he just like." He just got caught and he died. So he just needs to do what he was doing before and just not get killed and he'll he'll win easy. Yeah, even even though of course Leon um actually had a really good first round where he took Kamaru down, mounted him, took his back, got a body triangle. Um if any if anything, it seemed like it was fighting from that deficit that actually like bought out a, a much more like 
prime Kamara Usman performance that was all just about incessant pressure, grindy cage control, uh, you know, just pushing an insane pace, like nice body shots. Um, and then some combination of he gassed out or just like thought that he had the fight won and that he was safe and that, you know, championship era Usman who we've seen take his eye off the ball in late in fights just gave Leon the space that he needed to land a perfect left high kick, which is something that Kamaru Usman has been hit by, by everyone he's fought who can do a, a southpaw double attack. This time he got completely killed for it. So um, I think I talked about this last week. I'm just going to be picking Leon to win easy because I feel like uh, just something about the the ebb and flow of confidence and Kamara Usman now just having one thing that he has to be so keenly aware of, but that has been a habit throughout his career is just like, surely Leon just needs to flash a left kick and Usman is going to shit his pants completely. Also, the same reasons that I picked Leon in the last fight is that he's actually like, at this point, a, a unique matchup of physicality for Kamara Usman in the division that most people can't match. He can actually wrestle and grapple pretty well now. And he's just like a sharper, cleaner striker than Usman when he's actually like able to take his turn. So I'm picking Leon to win a decision. What do you guys think? I am, uh, you know, I got to say, I really don't know. I I have to pick Usman on a decision. I got to go with the safe pick just because, and I'm going to say this, I I really don't trust Leon to, to learn the right lessons from their second fight. I think Leon is going to see that he won. And even though his coaches are going to tell him everything that he needs to do, and they're going to tell him that, you know, he's still got his ass beat for most of the fight. He's still going to see that he won and he's going to come into this fight overconfident and make mistakes that he doesn't even make. And it's going to cost him the fight. Yeah. If that happens, I can actually see uh, Leon just getting flatly knocked out, which is what I kind of thought was going to happen in the last one. (laughs) <laughs> it, it it could have and it, even but, though I did pick I Leon know, just like, on a vibe and sometimes you gotta just go with the vibe pick it seemed like Leon was just really comfortable uh, like under fire even though he was kind of fighting like shit for the middle rounds of the fight but I, I don't know I, I think that he just lost focus because he's he's a goofy goober you know he'll he'll be a weirdo sometimes like he, he just fights he, he he just kind of fights bad occasionally despite being one of the more consistent guys because mma is just inherently inconsistent sometimes like the most consistent guys just kind of look like shit for a couple rounds and then like they get it back and then it doesn't really affect them that bad you would but, think a guy who's experienced hails of gunfire would have like you know more composure when he's getting punched in the face yeah, because it wasn't even like something put him off. He won a round wide and then got bored, I guess. Like the first round, it was really clear. Leon, you know, he, he was doing well on the feet. He got the first ever takedown on Usman uh, in the UFC. And he also took Usman's back and kept it for a while. So by all like normal 
reasoning, you'd expect that he would have a great second round built off of that confidence. But no, he, he kind of crumbled under his own success for a while. And then his corner was like, dude, do fucking anything. And that combined with <laughs> uh, getting just, I don't know. I, I interpret it as uh, my meme interpretation of it is that Leon just took the back foot long enough to where Usman wasn't being like forced to push it. He he didn't even have to push the pace. He, it was just given to him. So he just uh, kept him on the fence. And then Leon gave any resistance at all. And then Usman was like, oh shit, okay, let me uh, hop around in space. I, I'm not pressuring. I've just been fighting where the fight's at. And then he just gets killed with a head kick. So that's like, if you really want to reach for a, an explanation of why it happened other than, you know, Usman's head kickable. And I tend to think that he just like got tired from actually fighting at an insane pace for the previous three rounds. And he's 35. Like he's fought at a higher pace than that before. Yeah, it was, it was at altitude and he, you know, he is getting older and he famously doesn't have knees anymore. He has had the kind of fights previously where if he, he clearly felt the pressure of having to fight from a deficit. But if he reaches a point in a fight where he feels he's clearly up, he will kind of take time off and he's not he's not a good enough defensive fighter to do that like there are actually people who think that Colby Covington beat him in the second fight and he didn't but he still like let a guy keep coming at him for three rounds who he had absolutely fucking smoked for the first two I think he he isn't liable to gas but he is getting aware of his ability to gas as he's progressing through his career I feel like that's the thing that a lot of long-running champions do mostly because they do age with their style and they're trying to adjust for whenever their cardio isn't going to stand up anymore. So they have to kind of slow down the pace. Yeah, and I think there's definitely, you know, um, when you look at guys, especially, you know, guys as physical as Usman who have been pace athletes historically. Can't do that uh, shit forever. Right, and to my mind, you know, it, you know, the first guy that comes to mind is Manny Pacquiao. And Manny Pacquiao famously kind of eroded over time. It took him a while, took him longer than most. But still, you know, when he eroded, the first thing to go was his cardio. He started looking gassed in rounds that he wouldn't have looked gassed in. Like, for example, against Keith Thurman, when he looked gassed from now, really like round nine on. Um, and against Ugas, where he just looked like a shell of himself. And that's still in like high-level boxing where even a bonkers athletic cheater like Manny Pacquiao still has like a, a a wealth of like fundamentals and like defense that he can use to get him through those moments in a way that most MMA fighters do not. When you think about these guys in MMA, like this is a style that famously does not lend itself to any kind of longevity and every, you know, people just, as soon as they start to fall off a cliff physically, they, they just... They just can't maintain their style anymore, and they don't have a they don't have a plan B that they can go to. And uh, also, um, MMA is a and wrestling are both fucking injury generating machines. So, like, like when I think of examples of people who have had this kind of style, who have actually like had any kind of longevity, I think you know, I think of like like Clay Guida, and Clay Guida has lost four thousand times. There's a reason beyond just, oh, he's at Whitman's now that Kamaru Usman was trying to have these more like 
cautious ranged boxing performances. Yeah, I think he was trying to learn how to make a pace slower because he knew his cardio was going to fall off eventually. Like, it's hard to imagine someone with the style of Usman against RDA fighting at 35 and comfortably doing the exact same thing because you'll continue getting better as a fighter into your 40s like like well into your 40s but you're you just have to adapt to what things are falling off so that you're constantly upkeeping skill sets that will insulate against it and if you don't do that appropriately then you're going to end up in a situation like Usman did where he, he kind of waited a little too late to try and learn any defensive boxing and now he's just head kickable for his boxing defense he, he's not uh, adept enough at uh, defense to anything to be able to tr- try and like focus on a lane anymore he really should just go uh, all out on offense w- with where he's at in my opinion I think also the, uh, you know, as good a coach as Henry Hooft is, I do think Henry Hooft is a pretty good coach. I agree. Um, One of the best striking coaches in MMA. Yeah. um, I think the uh, combination of Henry Hooft and Trevor Whitman has kind of put a a time limit on Kamara Usman. That's uh, that's a time bomb, you know. I mean, it's one that kind of already exploded, but... Not really, you know, like, yeah, now, you know, we know he's had capable and, and whatever, but he still had extreme success against a guy that really didn't punish him for anything. So should Leon come into this fight with the answers that he needs to? Um, and should he come in like really willing to use his hands and willing to like draw exaggerated uh, reactions out of Usman, I think that'll definitely come out a lot more. Yeah, there, there was like four or five exchanges throughout rounds two, three, and four that Leon actually just flatly won a boxing exchange in the middle, normally towards the beginning or beginning of the round, or if uh, Usman let him off for whatever reason, or you know Leon managed to get to the middle. Like he would have some spots where it seemed like he just is going to fuck up Usman and they thought they're in a, a genuine boxing exchange where they're going 50, 50. Uh, but the, I, I think I trust him to maintain a fight more. Like he, he is a very consistent fighter. He's just had a lot of fights in the UFC. So we're going to notice this pattern eventually where he, he, he had like the, the Barbarina fight where he was kind of like letting himself go towards the end or, you know, the end of the RDA fight or the end of the Cerrone fight. He 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 just yes, if fight. he's winning, he kind of yeah the Diaz fight. If he's winning, he just kind of like he, like he if he thinks he's won hard enough, he either coasts or mentally checks out because he doesn't have to think too much anymore. But that leaves him vulnerable to getting fucked up. Yeah, we, we, well, it's just fight. So that's what I was just saying about Kamaru Usman. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> something that we pointed out about both, both guys before. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, it, it's kind. It, it's been a thing with uh, a lot of welterweights, where where you can just kind of let them win until they start losing, or uh, let them lose until they start winning. Yeah, even uh, GSP kind of got. I mean, he got caught by Condit in what round three or four. I'm not even talking about the Sarah fight. 
but just when he got like dropped by that head get uh by Condit, that was like not at the end of the fight, but it was like round four, wasn't it? I believe so. And uh, th- then there's a fighter like Robbie Lawler who's kind of the opposite of that, where he he'll drop the first couple rounds and then build late every single time. So welterweight is just kind of a weird division for that. I, I can't think of anyone that just keeps the same correct approach throughout a fight reliably. Yeah, and it is really funny because that second fight is uh, the shape of it is a fight between two people who mentally check out when they start winning. <laughs> yeah, so I I'm excited to see how that works out because I feel like Usman's gonna come in probably the best prepared he's ever come in before. He I would assume he's very upset that he lost because he got. But you know, can you be over prepared for things like this? Is what I'm asking. Oh, definitely yeah. he can. I think he's going to come out trying a lot of new things that might not necessarily work because there's a reason he didn't do them in the first fight. It's because Leon's a pretty educated kickboxer, and if you just try and throw a bunch of stuff at him, you're going to give him some reads. And he is an actually good counterpuncher, and he's he's really good at uh, his ring craft's good if you're just striking with him. If you're not really giving him too much worry about a takedown threat, and I don't think he should have too much worry about a takedown threat from Usman at this point. He kind of showed he could hang anytime Usman got him down, and he showed he could hang in the clinch and deny the takedowns. He defended some first layer takedown attempts. Like he just showed overall he can uh, compete with Usman in the grappling. So I think that if he's smart about it, Leon should just kind of fight his fight. And, and not really worry too much about what Usman's trying to throw at him. Just just kind of kickbox him. Just have a kickboxing match with him. And Usman I, I, uh, might actually hunt takedowns a ton this fight, though. In that I case, think, I think he really has some opportunity for success with reversals. I'm sorry, Christian. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I was, okay. was, was going to say, cause I, I wanted to thank Silas because he reminded me when he when he Talk about Usman overpairing. That's why I had brought up uh, Manny Pacquiao earlier. Because Manny Pacquiao, a big part of Manny Pacquiao's athletic downfall was him overtraining, like hard as fuck. Because famously, you know, he would go like, he would run up and down in the fucking mountains in Big Bear, like all the time. You know, he was just constantly training 24 7. And that wore his body down. Like, you know, towards the end of his career, it was, it was like falling off a cliff because of how hard it was. And he kept on running. Also, what, what I mean by over-preparing, I mean that in, a, in like a tactical sense as well, to give an actual reason for why I think, you know, Leon winning the last fight with a one come from behind shot in a fight that he was losing gives him an edge in a rematch is that what if Kamara Usman is now so keenly aware of how head kickable he is that he makes a massive defensive adjustment just to stop himself from getting left high kicked, and then Leon's just able to box him up easily. Yeah, like what if he just puts his weight too much on his lead foot and keeps his right hand up, then just gets jabbed all night? Right, which I think also, again, then feeds into what Christian was saying about Leon having had success in so many more areas um, other than just left high kick. Kind of makes me me think of how you know uh, DC in the second Stipe fight gets killed by body shots because he does his fucking wacky ass mummy guard thing that constantly leaves him open to body shots, and then in the second fight he constantly has his elbows tucked and just gets jabbed up the whole fight. 
yeah, it, it's basically the exact same dynamic. Uh, it just with with a different shot selection, I guess. Yeah. Especially considering that uh, DC was dominating the second Stipe fight. He was beating the shit out of Stipe for four rounds before Stipe just like figured out in the corner that, oh, hey, I should, uh, I should body shot the big fat guy. Yeah, DC was mostly winning that fight. And then you get fucked up and lose the fight because of one like you know tactical deficiency with how your defense works, and then you come in so overprepared to deal with the one thing that killed you before that you have to compromise your normal defensive system, and you know suddenly are open to a bunch more other things that you're now not able to deal with because of the thing that you're so keenly focused on. Yeah, I think just a really slight adjustment by Usman would be pertinent, like just circle towards the like Leon's right side. Just don't walk towards the kick at all, uh, and then you're not going to get caught like mid-step and have to react. And Leon doesn't have like a great right hook. His, his kick, it, it, just take a little bit of steam off of it by circling that way, and and then trying to catch Leon with your own uh, right hooks is probably the the play. I think if he wants to make a, a genuinely good adjustment, that's not going to put him too out of position or be asking too much of him. Go South Portland, look for left straights. This is my read for him. Real, real shit. That actually is not bad. Like not a bad adjustment. If there's a, uh, there's really like, I know Trevor Whitman has been getting shit on a lot recently. Um, but if there's one coach that I trust to come up with adjustments for like at range kickboxing is Trevor Whitman. Yeah, and I know just switch stance is an incredibly like seems like an incredibly shitty like MMA adjustment where it's just like oh well what if I just stand different and then suddenly you know you are changing the way that like just fundamentally the way that you normally fight but I mean Usman has switched stance in a bunch of his fights he's he, he's comfortable finding offense from southpaw and um. Something that I've, I've always given Whitman credit for is he's a coach who understands the importance or at least recognizes the validity of um, like kind of strategically selling out on singular, really hard tactical reads, like, you know, the, the way that Rose uh, knocked out uh, Zhang Wei Li is just like, you can say it looks kind of fluky when somebody just gets decked in 70 seconds who's never been knocked out before, but then you look at it, it's, it's like a really like uh, consistent way to punish Whaley's like, uh, defensive reactions to those kind of strikes. It just happens that it worked in a minute. Um, I'm sure there's been other examples of Trevor Whitman doing that. Oh, yeah, U- Usman in the Masvidal fight. That's like the exact way that Masvidal's been hurt multiple times throughout his career. Four times, that, yeah, four times. The way the way the way that Usman uh, splattered him with that uh, counter straight as he was overthrowing a left hook, and Leon, he's just less defensively aware in the close stance where he's pretty much been hurt by every southpaw that he's fought. So if I if I'm looking for adjustments for Usman, I'm just like you just just make make him fight from southpaw and just look to land big old left hands down the middle. Yeah, I, I also think that a, a good tactical adjustment would be uh, like two ones for Usman and instead of one twos like if he just stays orthodox he can just like kind of show the two and then just, like step deep with a, like a jolting jab and that's 
that's going to fuck up Leon. He likes to counter uh, someone leading with their rear hand with a check hook, or at least, at least like a check slap, and it just leaves him open to getting blasted. So, I, I can see Leon coming in with some extra adjustments. Like, he should kick the leg. I don't think he's going to, but he should kick the leg. He always throws some to the leg, but he should attack it as like a, a primary tool. I think that should be 25% of his, his kicking offense. At least. Because Usman is very kickable. Uh, he's going to be worried about the head kick, so he's probably going to be over-preparing for the head kick and annoying to, to just outright kick without setting something else up to start it. Like He, he has to reestablish that threat, I believe, so that he can actually turn into like more head kick, off, head kick offense. And then he needs to invest in the body. Because he didn't really go to the body much at all in the first fight. and Or in the second fight, I mean. So in the third fight, I would like to see him uh, like rip the body with body kicks. Because, you know, going to a fight, you just knock a guy out with head kick. Probably want to spam some body kicks. Really just alternate his level. That's, that's the main thing I think he needs to do. He was he was kind of headhunting, uh, at least with his boxing offense in the second fight. So, I that's something I didn't like out of him that really annoyed me. But it was a body kick that Usman uh, faked as a nut shot that ultimately led to the finishing yeah, shot. Finally, but it it took a while for him to actually start mixing up level on his kicks. I think that could have alleviated the pressure to in the second, third, and fourth rounds pretty comfortably. Like Usman doesn't like walking into the fire. He wants to stay somewhat safe if you're giving him the option while still allowing him to have his fight. Wait, so did you already say what your pick was, Christian? I have not. I think uh I think Leon's gonna uh knock out Usman, but in the third round this time. Damn. I'm the only dissenter here. I see how well, it is. I mean you could be right. I no, it's good to have one because <laughs> <laughs> Kamara is probably going to win. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not even say probably going to win. I genuinely think that Leon is a bad matchup for Usman at this point. Uh, in the second fight, just kind of reaffirmed that to me a bit. I, I really do just think Leon had a, an off night for parts of it. Like and, I think he prepared really well, and then he did really well, and then he kind of just shit the bed for a little bit, and then once he snapped back into it, he won. And I'll lend uh, credence to what you had said earlier um, in that Leon can wrestle with Usman. And Leon, in, in a lot of ways, athletically, is a, is a really bad matchup for Usman in a way that nobody else is at welterweight. Um, and he really is. He's, he's tall for welterweight. Um, he's really the only guy that's as strong as Usman at welterweight besides what, like, Shavkat and, and, I mean, Hamza isn't even making 170 anymore, so he's not in the picture. Um, so nobody like nobody can match Usman physically, pretty much besides Leon. Um, so I definitely think that's that's a unique factor going into it. But I just I really I think the 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 mental aspect of it and just knowing Leon, like knowing Leon's history psychologically and and how he goes into his fights, I just I really can't put all my faith in him. That's fair. Okay. A uh, bunch of other cool fights in this card. We should probably start getting through them because this is a long-ass podcast. 
current main event, fucking awesome lightweight top contenders fight, Justin Gaethje and Rafael Fiziev. Ooh, bloodbath. Let's fucking go. Uh, yeah, Fiziev, I mean, yeah, one of my favorite fighters in the sport right now. All the hotness for the fucking striking dorks who love to see someone who just like is kind of uh, systematized ways of just like knocking out MMA fighters for like like pretty consistent deficiencies that even very good MMA strikers have. Um, and then, I don't know, where, where's Justin Gaethje at right now? I, I think he's going to look uh, like, I think he's going to be in really good form. I just think he's going to get demolished. Like, I, I think Gaethje isn't so much... Uh, regressed at all i think he just is is trying something out new i think he does still have it in him to go out and go crazy but you know it, it's worth acknowledging that the fights that he's getting criticized for are the could fight where he got he was in a fight where he got a lot of good striking offense off and defended a lot of takedowns but for very good reason was fucking terrified of a takedown because he couldn't really go forward, because literally the second they entered the ground both times, he, he was dead to rights fucked to, in, about to get submitted. So he was terrified of Khabib and still did pretty well and was like maybe three low kicks away from having the fight snowball in his favor. Then Michael Chandler, he didn't knock out Michael Chandler because Michael Chandler's dogged and he's, he's going to fucking bullshit to, to get you to kind of give up on trying to knock him out. And Chandler wasn't really engaging in a war with him. He was just having like a back-and-forth brawl, which isn't the type of fight that Gaethje wants to have. He wants to have one where you're, you know, dirty boxing with each other, getting really close and fucking each other up, like trading low kicks in the pocket. He doesn't want one where he's getting reliably pushed back over and over and, and pelted, or one where he gets to come forward for a little bit and have his, his turn. He doesn't want turns. He wants you both to be getting fucked up at the same time. And then the Charles Oliveira fight, he dropped the best fighter in the division at the time twice, and then got finished because he fought the best finisher in the fucking sport. So, I you know I give Gaethje shit, but he's I think he's going to be in as good a form as he's ever been. But I still think he gets obliterated because it's Rafael uh, Fiziev, who's a, a genuinely um, like elite kickboxer for MMA. He, he's not just like. A, a kickboxer guy that has like 20 fights on his kickboxing record that's coming over. He's, he's like actually good at kickboxing. And though he does have a lot of MMA intricacies that are, are very specific to an MMA game in, within his striking arsenal, I, I think Gaethje is not the type of person to exploit the deficiencies in Fiziev's offense. Like, Fiziev is pretty easy to catch with some bullshit. Uh, you know, go back to his wheel kick loss. That was just a guy having some, uh, like any sort of grappling offense uh, being posed and then doing a fucking silly spin kick and it, it cleaning him. That'll happen sometimes. But then he had other fights where someone had, in theory, the same uh, offensive capability, but they just didn't have the threat of a takedown and they couldn't really get much against him. And Gaethje there's probably no threat of a takedown against Gaethje because Gaethje has made it pretty clear at this point that he doesn't want to do takedowns. He used to do slams a lot in his early career. He, he's originally a wrestler 
And if he goes to that sum in this fight, I think he could actually get a lot of offense off because I would expect that Faziev is barely training his grappling at all, given that based off what we've seen recently, if they ex- grapple for any extended period of time, Faziev might just fucking submit Gaethje because Gaethje's flatly bad at jiu-jitsu. We've still never had to see Faziev do jiu-jitsu. Yeah. He has really but, fucking good takedown defense. But we have no reason to believe he's bad at it. We have a ton of reason to believe that Gaethje's bad at it. Uh, that's why he avoids it like the plague. So I, I think that Faziev has his his path to losing is just kind of exchanging with Gaethje too long, and then Gaethje maybe finding something or Gaethje like pacing him, but it's not five rounds. So I don't think that Gaethje's really liable to just withstand getting the fuck beaten out of him until Faziev is tired from his own offense. And then he, he gets kind of brought into a back-and-forth war where he has to go 50-50 with Gaethje. Yeah, I just really feel like uh, Fiziev's defense and the fact that he's himself very dangerous in exchanges and in clinch transitions and um, very good at defending low kicks and just kicks in general means that I really feel like he he's either going to be able to limit Gaethje's offense to a point where Fazeev is going to be able to keep the fight at a pace that he can hang for three rounds. Because there were some concerns like in some of his earlier fights in the UFC, like Mark Casey fight where he just kicked the absolute shit out of Mark Casey and then kind of let him into the, the third round. You know, he got hurt in the third round by Bobby Green. Um, but he's also just from... Any interviews I catch with him in English seems like remarkably self-aware about his development as a fighter and the things that give him issues in fights and how he needs to build on them. And he like went at pace with RDA defending a shitload of takedowns and finished RDA in the fifth round. So it's not really something I worry about that much. And I feel like even if we get violence idiot Gaethje back and he's really just trying to like keep exchanges going with Fazeev and... Um, push a pace that Fazeev that Fazeev's going to drown in. He's probably just going to get knocked out by a counter at some point because, like, as I say, Fazeev actually has a re- really good counters in exchanges and has a really tight left hook. And Gaethje loves to fucking swang his hooks. Um, I have to say I agree on really all fronts. Um, I think you know me. I- like on the real inside in the clinch where where Gaethje is good with that dirty boxing, I think Kaziev is better. I think Kaziev can evade any attempts that uh, Gaethje makes to like just grab onto him. Really, um, I think he showed with uh, Brad Riddell that his combinations on the inside can hurt somebody, and especially with I mean Gaethje is, is bound to not be that durable anymore. So I think, you know, a couple extended exchanges on the inside and, and Fiziev will have him down, you know? Yeah, because here's the thing. Like, Gaethje, he doesn't have defense once he's in an exchange, and he relies on the fact that neither do most MMA fighters, and he's just more willing to stay in the exchange than most MMA fighters. And then I think, well, who's he... F- uh, you know, even in the Edson Barboza fight, there was multiple points in that fight where Edson Barboza just was like, fuck it, I've just got a plan and swing. And he still fucking nailed Gaethje. And Edson Barboza hates staying in exchanges. 
like you know to 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 look at someone who Gaethje's fought who can actually maintain extending those exchanges and being on the back foot when Gaethje is pressuring. You got to go back to Eddie Alvarez, who, you know, no one gets out of a Justin Gaethje fight unscathed, and he got his, got his leg nearly fucking destroyed. But he kind of fucking took Justin Gaethje to school at that point. Yeah, something I I do really expect is that uh, Gaethje is gonna land like a kick that's probably on like the knee or something and uh rogan's gonna be like oh the calf kick oh you know something kickboxers aren't normally used to seeing and then Fazio's gonna be like perfectly fine yeah there's gonna be some some real bullshit calls from the commentary during that fight um i can't say i'm i'm not gonna watch it muted uh, i'm not planning on, on listening to joe rogan's dumb ass go on about fucking calf kicks and uh about Gaethje's ridiculous punches and, and crazy mechanics and boxing technique or whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not looking forward to that aspect of the fight. I, I think that tactically the fight's really neat, like the way that the low kick matchup works out, uh, the way that... Gaethje is not going to like the body hooks, but I think that if Gaethje can get to uh, like the overhands at, at the end of exchanges, I think he can actually get something done. Uh, Fiziev is very reactive, and I feel like he's somewhat vulnerable. Do you you know throwing away a small amount of offense than just pelting him with a big hard shot? Uh, not nearly as vulnerable as most fighters are, but when you get to like that caliber of striker you you have to kind of nitpick like the the issues that you can find in their their defense uh, so i i think that gaethje's gonna get exhausted like has to like constantly react to getting like body kicked and also being low kicked because gaethje's not great at dealing with low kicks himself he just is great at doing them and normally disincentivizes people from engaging in low kick battles with them by having harder leg kicks. I think uh, the body kick is also going to be huge for Fazia. Uh, I'm sure when you guys brought it up, I might have just been in a drunken stupor and missed it. Um, but the body kicks on either side, it really doesn't matter if it's the right or left. Um, because yeah, the, the defense that Gagey does have is not well suited to dealing with body shots, no, not at all. And, and that was a uh, huge part of the Eddie Alvarez fight was just drawing out his high guard and just wanging him to the body in close up whenever he would go to that, exactly. And that was just a close break. Now, I, I think Fiziev is is probably going to do like I, I, I trust him to like really like start a combination in close, force Gage to retreat, and then as he's retreating, blast him with the body kick. Um, he's not a stranger to doing that in other fights. Um, notably, uh, again, Mark Jacasey. Um, I think against like in his, uh, I don't know if it was his UFC debut or what, but against Alex White, he did that a couple times as well. Um, but I really do think he's going to bait some like unprotected retreats from Gaethje and then punish him for those. And that's just going to wear Gaethje out even quicker. Okay. So, uh, Gunnar Nelson fighting Brian Barberena, super short notice. So I think this is supposed to be Gunnar Nelson versus Daniel Rodriguez. Brian Barberena, if he can 
push a pace might actually just beat the fuck out of Gunnar Nelson, but he also might might get his back taken for like the the entire fight. I, I think given that Gunnar got a full training camp and he was fighting someone that is a pretty good defensive grappler, I think Barbara is gonna get subbed in the first round. Yeah, probably. I really hope so. I hope that grave robbing fuck does get subbed. Uh, he's really just been beating old men senseless for no reason. He, he ain't really had to do all that. Well, I mean, you know, he's he's also pretty shot worn himself at this point, and he got like kind of kind of sunned by RDA. So, yeah, I guess. No, I, I like Brian Barberina. Uh Jennifer Maya's fighting Casey O'Neill. Yeah, that might be my favorite fight on the card. Uh, Jennifer Maya is inactive a lot of the time. Casey O'Neill is the opposite of inactive. But I think that Jennifer Maya could, it could be a bit of like just an experience check for Casey O'Neill because she's 9 and 0. Jennifer Maya's like pretty strong and like positionally responsible on the ground. So she's not a great um, athlete, but Casey O'Neill is an actively bad athlete. Um, she hasn't fought in a while though. So, you know, we, we could see, uh, we could see something more aggressive or, or, or something more uh, impressive physically in this fight. It, it's her 10th fight. So she's going from fighting Anthony Shevchenko and Roxanne Modafferi. And she was scheduled to fight Jessica I, who would, would have been a squash match as well, to a pretty big step up athletically. Uh, Jennifer Bay is at minimum decently strong and durable. So Casey O'Neill's going to have to navigate that, uh, like actually trying to get clinch offense off with someone stronger than her, maybe stronger than her. All right, I- I'm assuming she will be, but I could be wrong. And then also trying to get boxing offense and kick offense against someone that's a pretty decent kickboxer and actually has some program counters. Like she, she might catch O'Neill with many left hooks. O'Neill is very defensively like. I was I was gonna say limited. Uh, she's flatly bad defensively. She's an all offense fighter, and I could see her drowning Jennifer Maya and like beating her down if she can get the position she wants for any extended period of time. And her attrition is really good. She she's works the right targets, uh, like early on. But it, it just feels like it's a big step up for Casey O'Neill, kind of fast off of a somewhat long layoff. I uh, I have no thoughts on this fight. Okay, so like the the rest of the card is like all pretty well booked. Yeah, uh, Victoria Lise is going to be a fun one as well. Awesome, but just fucking middleweight meatheads, I love it. <laughs> two motherfuckers that would lose to Fluffy Hernandez. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm going to represent the Fluffy Hernandez hype train off the bat. Let's go. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out Vel. Um, on Twitter, because uh, Vel put me on to that. Um, he put me on on uh, Fluffy Hernandez, and I'm now a firm believer that Fluffy Hernandez is top five at middleweight. Oh, yeah, this is a Fluffy Hernandez podcast. <laughs> what a sweet. I don't know if you heard the end of year episode, but Christian actually named the best performance of the year Fluffy Hernandez versus Marc Andre Barrio. That's honestly, that's insanely based. I'd miss that. I'd miss your guys' end of the year episode, but. Not surprised that Christian had a take so based. So Jack Shaw is up at featherweight fighting Maquan Amakani. 
don't know why all of the good uh, British bantamweights moving up to featherweight, where they're presumably going to be like just massively outsized. Uh, but it's a Macron and McCartney fight. He might win by a an anaconda choke in the first round. If he doesn't, he's going to gas out and get the fuck beaten out of him. I'm going to say that the second thing is going to happen because Jack Shaw, well, he's going to be the tidy for featherweight. I think he's going to be prepared enough to just like deal with a front choke and kind of just uh, jab Mac when up for most of the fight, probably out grapple him late as well. Yeah. You took the words right out of my brain. <laughs> I was going to be like, yeah, He's either going to get Darst or win very easily and probably by finish late. But I don't know. Makwan's even getting like older. He might just get finished like earlier on this time. It, it doesn't take long for him to gas. He might gas after a single takedown attempt being failed. Um, Yeah, because Makwan's even old now. Uh, yeah. S-Tank is now marred by age. So, who knows? He he genuinely might guess after one punch. Um, yeah, I think you know I, I'm not as high as on Jack Shore as a lot of people are. Um, I like him, but I really, especially at as the weight, I I don't. I I don't like his chances. Fiz- Oh, physically. Yeah, I, I liked it. I liked him as a kind of you know fringe top ten like cool technician dude at bantamweight. Uh, I didn't like didn't necessarily have hopes of him as a title contender or anything, but he's a cool guy to have around. But I'm just I don't know how far he's going to be able to go in this division. I yeah, think not far at all, but I think this is an easy matchup. Well, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I think once he gets uh, launched into the top 10 and he has to worry about getting genuinely eaten alive inside a cage by Taporia, like once he has to worry about getting cannibalized alive, then you know, it's a different story. Even Sadiq Yusuf. Oh my God. God, it, it just imagine the, physical, the physicality difference in that. Just, yeah, just someone larger than him is... That is actually able to hit. Yeah, if, I think if he wins this fight, he should fight uh, Edson Barboza. Yeah, <laughs> just skyrocket him to a fight with, uh, like Calvin Cater. Just, just to show him what the division's actually like if he gets success here. <laughs> so basically, but he does. If he, he, he could surprise us. He could surprise us. I, I think if if he builds into his frame well, he's not short for the division. He's 5'8", and uh, like, all right, reach for it. Nathaniel Wood's done okay at featherweight so yeah, far. Yeah, he's, he's had his moments where he's, he's shown some hitting ability. He, he might grow into the weight pretty comfortably. Who knows? Maybe he'll just be fast as fuck. Speaking of Nathaniel Wood, what a cancelled fight. That, like, the cancelled fight between Nathaniel Wood and LeBron. I don't know we never get British dude versus British dudes fights, and that would have been an awesome one. That would have been yeah, a really, would. really good one. Cool that they got a uh, Lerone Murphy, a late notes replacement, but someone he should just like tool pretty easily. All right, fuck it, let's get out of here. All right, solid. Um, 
yep, as always, if you enjoyed this content, all the other great stuff the Fireside puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon. A pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library of great quality analytical content and to a Discord server where we have a fantastic community full of guys like Javi. Fuck yeah. Uh, yep, it's been Forbidden Technique Podcast. Hope we can catch you next week. We can talk about all the cool shit that happens on this card. And then, um, shit, is it, is it, is it Chio versus Sandy next week? Yeah, it is, boy. Oh, let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah, you know we're hyped to talk about that one. So, yeah, we'll see you guys then. Peace. Later. Later.